You are listening to the Sunnybrook Unscripted podcast, where we talk real life, answer questions, and take a deeper practical look at the topics we talk about on a Sunday morning. To learn more about Sunnybrook Church, including our Sunday gathering times and opportunities throughout the week, visit us online at sunnybrookchurch.org. Today, we are talking with Pastor Jeff Mose. Welcome or welcome back to the Sunnybrook Unscripted podcast. I am Lydia Miller here with my dad, Pastor Jeff, and we are going to do a special little Christmas mini-series, if you will. That'd be fun. I'm looking forward to it. I love Christmas. I like Christmas too. So if you aren't getting enough with our Christmas series and our Christmas service, we're here to provide even a little bit more Christmas. Behind the scenes. Behind the scenes. So for the next two episodes, we are going to be doing a Christmas timeline. So maybe for some of you, you've been bursting some bubbles on Sunday mornings, I just want to say. I apologize for that. I yeah. really do. I know everybody thinks Christmas is December uh-huh. 25. It's not, but yep. I appreciate the yeah. sentiment. And yeah. it's a great day to celebrate. Any day would do. Yes, so any that's day, certainly a good one. Any day is a good day. And that we're not going to be angels. You also dropped that bomb on us yes. eventually as well. So, uh, But in the spirit of that, we thought it would be good to take a look at the actual Christmas timeline. How did things go down in the way that they went down? What happened? When? Because it gets a little bit muddy, a little bit murky. And so what we're going to do for a couple episodes is we're just going to walk through the timeline of Christmas, of all of the events that took place. Yeah, and I think also I would say let's talk about where these took place Mm. because there's some different locations and those kinds of things. Mm. And Scripture pretty much spells it out. So we're going to walk through Luke chapter 1 a little bit in Matthew uh, chapter 1 and 2 and Luke chapter 2 and talk about the birth of Jesus. But I think it gives us a little bit of a timeline of what's going on. Yep. So we'll look at times, places, because have you been to Israel before? I don't know if I've mentioned it (laughs) once maybe. But I have, and here's what's going to happen to me that will not be happening to you, is yeah. every time we walk through one of these, I'll be visualizing exactly where we're at. But I do look forward to the day I will be when you eventually go to Israel so I can stop hearing about this. I'll be visualizing how much you annoy me when you do that. <laughs> All right, so we're going to take a look at the timeline of Christmas. Now, if you've spent much time in Scripture, you know that the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, take a look at the life of Jesus Matthew and Luke very specifically start kind of with the birth of Jesus um, and everything that's happening there. But what you may not realize is obviously we have the Old Testament and the New Testament. It feels like there's sort of this cutoff and it can sometimes feel like, and then the next day an angel came and we kind of have the birth of Jesus, but that's not necessarily how it happened. No, there is kind of a gap. Most scholars would say about 400 years where you don't hear the voice of God, kind of known as those dark times, that intertestamental period between the Old and the New Testament where we haven't heard the voice of God for a long time. So now as the gospels start and they start with the birth of Christ, the coming of this Messiah that had been long predicted in the Old Testament, uh, things get exciting again as now we hear from God. And when you say don't hear the voice of God, I mean, prophets are hearing from him. We're hearing all sorts of testament of what's maybe to come come. And then it's 400 years of really nobody heard anything. Really silence. Yeah. Uh, Again, prophets were speaking and, you know, forecasting, foreshadowing what's going to happen in the coming of the Messiah. But then there's really silence for a time. And then, you know, people begin to wonder, did the prophets really hear from God or did they not? And then all of a sudden, when we come to the Gospels now, uh, you're going to see the joy of sort of that taking place and prophecy being fulfilled. What's interesting, though, I always find interesting, is that really the first we hear is not necessarily about Jesus. 
No, because again, I think John the Baptist is nothing more than the last of the prophets. He's the forerunner of Jesus. And when we start the gospel, especially in Luke chapter 1, and this really takes place in Jerusalem, uh, not in Bethlehem, not in Nazareth, Mm. where Mary and Joseph were, but in Jerusalem, there is a couple known as Zechariah and Elizabeth. Elizabeth happens to be Mary's cousin. Mm -hmm. But Zechariah is a priest. He's working in the temple, and they're in Jerusalem. And uh, this is an older couple. You know, we, we hear about Abraham and Sarai, that they were 90 and 100 years of age. We don't know exactly how old Zechariah and Elizabeth are, but they're far beyond childbearing years. And now Zechariah has this vision. An angel comes to him and speaks that he's going to have a child. But Zechariah doubts that mm-hmm. that's going to really take place. In fact, he questions the angel. And because he questions the angel, now he goes silent. My thought always is this. Can you imagine a silent husband for nine months while the wife is pregnant? Wouldn't that be a gift? What a dream. That what would a be dream. a gift, I think. Yeah. So he's silent for nine months as they wait for the birth of the child. But that's the very first thing that takes place because they're going to give birth to John the Baptist, who will be sort of this last prophet, this forerunner of Jesus. Mm-hmm. This voice in the wilderness. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Strange mm-hmm. dude. Yeah. <laughs> eats <laughs> you know, bugs. Camel hair. Yeah. He eats bugs. Uh, yeah. Yep. So after... Um, the angel comes to Zachariah and Elizabeth. It says, basically, six months later, an angel appears to Mary. Yes. Now we're in Nazareth. Mm-hmm. So Mary and Joseph lived in Nazareth. That's where the two of them met. I don't mm-hmm. think they met online, <laughs> but the two of them met. And so now all of a sudden, the angel that showed up, uh, I, I, I think Gabriel, he he's always seems to be the messenger. He shows up to Zachariah. Now he shows up to Mary in Nazareth and says to Mary, hey, listen, you're going to give birth to a child. Again, this just happens a little bit later in Luke chapter Mm 1. But now he speaks and he announces, you kind of dealt with this in your sermon last Mm -hmm. time. But now that angel shows up and says to Mary, hey, Mary, you're highly favored. Mm -hmm. In fact, if we could just pause on that for a moment, because a lot of Catholics would say, hey, she becomes sort of this dispenser of grace. When it says she's highly favored, she now has the ability to give grace to other people. It's one of the reasons in that church they often pray to Mary or Mary is seen as somebody that's really high up. Uh, Again, we think that she was highly favored, meaning the Spirit of God had kind of come on her. As he often did in the Old Testament where he'd come upon somebody for a special task. We think the Holy Spirit did the same thing. Now that she's going to give birth to the Son of God, the Holy Spirit comes on her. Uh, giving her special ability, but she doesn't become a dispenser of grace. She's not one who gives grace to other people. She just simply has grace in the middle of that moment. And uh, again, you recognize she just simply says, as you did in your sermon, hey, here's the reality. What am I but a servant of God? And she has this incredibly uh, servant, humble heart uh, for giving birth to Jesus and carrying him for nine months. Mm -hmm. So we've got so far in kind of the Christmas story over in Jerusalem, we have Elizabeth, who is six months pregnant in Nazareth. Now we've got Mary, who has heard from the angel. And then we see Mary now take a take a visit, essentially, to go see her cousin Elizabeth. And I, as I was researching, I just was thinking about, gosh, what just this loving reassurance this is from God for Mary, because what an unbelievable thing that the angel has said. But now she has the opportunity to go speak with a family member who essentially had the same experience that she had, this miracle pregnancy, this angel that comes and speaks to her. So Mary goes off and she goes to meet with Elizabeth. Do you think Mary knew, because the angel says, just like your cousin is experiencing this miraculous birth, do you think Mary knew before the angel said that, 
that this has taken place in Elizabeth's life? Or do you think she just kind of, on the words of the angel, decides to go see for herself? Yeah, it's, it's hard for me to ever know what's going on in the mind of somebody. We, we talked about this when Christ gets a little bit older. Does, mm-hmm. you know, does she know mm-hmm. she's actually you know, mothering the very Son of God? I'm not sure on that. I, I, I think so. I like to think mm-hmm. that she has full knowledge. But I, I think she only does if God made a decision to disclose that to her. But she makes her way now to Jerusalem. She lives up in Nazareth, if you've ever been there before, and obviously you haven't. Uh, It's a couple-hour drive. It's quite a ways north. So I'm sure it was several days' journey for them on foot. But I was also thinking, don't you, is because now there's such a small town, and Mary's being talked about. She's being shunned because she is this woman who's pregnant outside of marriage, and so she's being shunned. I think she's going, listen, I'll go to Jerusalem just to get out of here. I'd love to see my cousin Elizabeth. I think the two of them were close. I think you're right. They've got something in common, so to speak. So she makes her way to Jerusalem. And again, it's there, and this is a fascinating story. This is the latter part of Luke chapter 1. But it's this story where now all of a sudden this baby inside of Elizabeth leaps for joy when Mary comes and she's bearing the very Son of God. And again, she breaks into, and you kind of walk this through in your sermon as well, the Magnificat, though, which I think is just one of the best you know, poems you could ever read of just this joy and worship of the goodness of God in the midst of that. There is one line, though, in the Magnificat, if we could just pause for a moment, where she says, in effect, hey, listen, uh, this is my God, my Savior, my God. Um, I think it's the, one of the things that we have to recognize about Mary is, again, she's not this dispenser of grace. She actually is in need of grace. So when she talks about this baby inside of her, she's talking about the fact that this is also my Savior, so to speak. And again, Thomas Aquinas actually talked about that line and said, listen, if Mary was this dispenser of grace, why would she say the words that he's my God, my Savior? Mm -hmm. So she recognized that she had the Son of God inside of her, but she also recognized that eventually the grace that he would provide was something that she would need. So she breaks into this beautiful song known as the Magnificat. Mm -hmm. So then it says that in Jerusalem, Mary stays for a while. We don't really know how long she stays, which, you know, it's possible then, you know, if Elizabeth is six months pregnant when she kind of uh, starts this journey and makes her trip there, that she's there for the birth of um, Elizabeth's baby, which is then to be John the Baptist. Yeah, and I do think it's likely she stayed during that time. I think it's possible she becomes sort of this midwife that helps Mm -hmm. and walks through that and learns from that and all of that. I, I, I think they had a close relationship in this way. But now this little baby is born, John the Baptist. And, you know, Scripture talks about this, but his name was Zachariah. They didn't have any Johns in the family. And in that day and age, you usually named the baby, especially if you had a boy, you named him after the father. So it should have been Zachariah Jr. And then when he says, hey, listen, his name is going to be John, the mom first says that, Elizabeth Mm. does. And they go, listen, there's, there's no Johns in your family. Why would you do that? So then they look at Zachariah, who can't speak, and now he Mm -hmm. writes on a tablet, his name will be John. Mm -hmm. And at the moment that happens and he's born, now all of a sudden Zachariah is able to speak again. I don't know if that was a good thing for Elizabeth or not, (laughs) but now he has this ability to speak. And again, uh, John the Baptist then goes and becomes this forerunner. You know, I'm not worthy to untie his sandals. He actually baptizes Jesus. There's this incredible relationship that takes place between John the Baptist Mm -hmm. and Jesus. In fact, I think they were very close. It's Mm -hmm. one of the reasons I think Jesus really struggled when John the Baptist was beheaded was they were close. Now, we've spent a lot of time talking about the women in this story, 
And we've not spent any time at all talking about Joseph and the role that Joseph played in all of this because he obviously was a key component to still accepting Mary and still taking on this responsibility. So where does he come into play? Yeah, and that's really the next thing that happens. So John the Baptist is born. Now an angel comes to Joseph, Joseph in Nazareth, and basically says to Joseph, hey, listen, go ahead and take Mary to be your wife. Because you recognize in that day and age when they got engaged, they were betrothed. The only way you could end sort of this betrothal was you had to be go through an actual divorce. And there was all kinds of shame that went through that. Mary then would likely be a peasant. She would likely be on her own. She would be sort of this marked woman that nobody would want to marry. And she would live in poverty likely for the rest of her life. But now Joseph has in his mind, the scripture says, hey, I'm just going to quietly divorce her. I'm not going to make a big stink about this or let anybody. I'm just going to quietly do it. And then the angel appears in Nazareth and comes to Joseph. Scripture says in a dream, say, listen, take Mary to be your wife. What's conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. It's not another man. This is actually a miraculous birth of the very Son of God, and what's conceived in her comes from the Holy Spirit. So he makes a decision at that point in time that he's going to continue with Mary. We often give Mary, and it's well-deserved, credit for the willingness that she had to take on the public shame and humiliation and um, just humility that she would need to bring to this. We need to give the same to Joseph. Amen, we do. I, I think he had in some respects, the bigger difficulty because, you know, he's well known in his community. He's a little bit older. Mary is younger, most likely. And again, I think he's going through all sorts of shame and ridicule. I think people don't want to do business with him, any of those kinds of things. There was a lot of shame in that day and age that went along with that. And as much as we talk about Mary and what she endured, uh, Joseph certainly did as well. So we've got Mary and Joseph on the same page now. Mary you know, makes her way back to her hometown in Nazareth. But we know, obviously, Jesus is born in Bethlehem. So how do we get there? Yeah, there's a census that's to be taken. It happens to this very day in Israel still. They hmm. still, you have to go to your hometown. He comes hmm. from the lineage, the line of David. David comes from Bethlehem. Remember, eventually, when David goes to his brothers who are fighting in the war to the Philistines, he makes his way from Bethlehem. So we know that's his hometown. Joseph and his line come from there. So he's got to make this travel all the way uh, to Bethlehem. And again, that's a long travel. I'm sure it's a two, three, four-day journey. They would often journey by caravans. She's nine months pregnant. That can't be easy. Uh, but she makes her way there, and now Jesus is born. And that's the next thing. And Luke chapter 2 is the very birth of Jesus. Even them ending up in Bethlehem is the fulfillment of a prophecy. Even the line that Joseph comes from is the fulfillment of a prophecy. Exactly. Micah 5, 2, mm-hmm. and he's going to be born in Bethlehem. So 700 years before, Micah prophesies he's going to be born in Bethlehem. Sure enough, by the providence of God, there's a census to be taken. Everybody's got to go to their hometown where they're from. Joseph makes his way because he's from the house in the line of David all the way to Bethlehem. And the child is born in Bethlehem. And it's a fascinating birth. You know, shepherds are around, angels are saying, I mean, it's an incredible, miraculous birth. I'm sure it was difficult on Mary. I'm sure it was difficult on Joseph. Uh, most people say, well, well, listen, there was no room in the inn. And the word really is cataluma, no room in the guest house. But most houses had below them sort of a fruit cellar, if you will. It was kind of like a cave where it was colder. And at night, that's where shepherds would bring their sheep. Most people would say this, though, and I think it's fascinating. All around Bethlehem were what you would call sort of these birthing suites for little lambs. So they would have these caves, and they were ceremonially clean, and they would take their uh, sheep down there, and they would give birth. 
And then they would wrap them, swaddle them in strips of cloth, these little lamps, because, you know, the sacrifice, they're close by Jerusalem, so the lambs usually be raised in Bethlehem, and then they'd be brought to be sacrificed in Jerusalem. They wanted to make sure they were unblemished, so they would wrap them up because there were jagged edges in the cave, and they wanted to make sure they had no blemish, no marks on them. Uh, now, all of a sudden, in this birthing cave where lambs were kept for sacrifice, now Jesus is born. And, and they wrap him in these strips of cloth. Most scholars would say the strips of cloth were actually old robes that were used by the priests. So they would, they would rip the robes into strips. So now Jesus, if you can imagine, this for me is just the fulfillment of scripture, gives it all the more truth, is Jesus is actually this high priest. He's clothed in this priestly garment. They would use these as wicks for menorahs. And likely people would say, well, how did Jesus get a hold of them? Well, Zachariah, again, in that relationship, but they swaddled Jesus in these strips of a priest's robe, just reminding again of the ultimate sacrifice that he would be. And, and again, I just think the more you learn about the story, especially around the Christmas time, the fascination of the birth of Jesus happening in a cave and learning about shepherds and all that takes place just makes the story more come alive, more credible, more real, uh, more a fulfillment of what God had promised for so many years. Just an exciting thing. I love to because it can feel so kind of happenstance, non-miraculous when you just read it on paper, but the deep meaning that actually existed and everything that was going on is truly only a work of God. It, 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 very much so. And I think that's true of all of Scripture. When mm -hmm. you can see what's behind it and the symmetry of everything that comes together mm -hmm. and, and the symbolism that takes place, it's fascinating story. I know it probably feels like we have reached the end of the Christmas story. We have not, in fact. We're halfway there. We are only halfway done with everything that kind of takes place in this. So we're going to stop here, um, and we hope that you'll join us for the next episode on Christmas so we can continue with the story. If you were encouraged by today's talk, be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you stream your podcast. To experience other talks, videos, and live gatherings, visit us online at sunnybrookchurch.org or download the Sunnybrook Church app. And again, thanks for listening to the Sunnybrook Community Church Podcast.